This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. Isn't that great that God, that Christ plans to fill all things with himself? Um, I think that's where I finish tonight. So, David, thank you for finishing well for me. But isn't it great that that means that everything in creation is to be a container and a vessel for God, right? So that means it's God's responsibility to fill all the things that he's created that needs to be filled. And that includes you and me. So that that just makes me feel a lot more comfortable and confident that um, it has nothing to do with me, who he created, because he's only created me to be filled with him, and that's his job to do. So that's exciting. Welcome, everybody, uh, to the uh, School of Ministry uh, for your, is this your fourth session? Am I number four? Oh, fifth, I'm number five. Okay, well, welcome to number five. Uh, Thank you so much for coming out. I guess that you are all rugby fans rather than football fans uh, by, uh, by your attendance, or you really, really want to meet me, which is even more nice, I'm guessing. And I've been listening to the podcasts on uh, the School of Ministry and listening to uh, my, my friends as they talked with you, and they all seem to begin the same way, so I, I thought that I would begin the same way as well. So my name's Tim Jones. Um, I'm a Christian. I'm from the church. Uh, I'm based in the church in Cardiff, All Nations Church, and serve with fellow ministries around the UK and overseas. I am married to the wonderful Jo, uh, Joanne, and I have uh, two wonderful children, Hannah and Ben. Uh, So that's a little bit about myself. Um, I uh, fell in love with my wife the first day that I saw her. She walked into my office looking for a temporary job, and as she was filling out the application form, I said to everybody else in the office, I would like to interview that young lady that just came in right now. (laughs) And after the interview, uh, and I managed to give her some work to do, everybody in the office said, well, why did you want to interview her? And I said, because that's the lady that I'm going to marry. And uh, she didn't know that yet, but I was convinced the moment I saw her. So six years later, uh, we actually managed to get married, which was uh, good. So uh, just to give you hope out there, there is the right person for you, but you... (laughs) You have to persevere sometimes. Okay. <laughs> I'm really, really grateful to actually be invited uh, to come and share with you because, again, I look at the list of names that are on the, uh, the, uh, the agenda and they're, they're, they're men and women that I think, wow, how do I, how do I get picked to go and stand in front of those guys or, or, or talk on the same platform that, that they're on? They're, they're so much more um, in the word than I, I am, if you understand what I mean. Or they're gifts... Uh, they're so much more talented than me and able to, to talk, and yet here I am being invited to come and talk to you and, and share a little bit more about the evangelist, and boy, I, um, I struggle with that one a little bit as well when the, the request came in, so I'm really humbled to be stood here today after those guys have been in there, and I was also very grateful to have a brief sent to me, uh, because where do I start? How do you begin? What do you begin to talk about? So David, thank you very much for sending all that, because the brief has enabled me to maybe focus uh, more on what it is that you would like to hear. And my hope tonight is that you leave here um, having met the evangelist and known more about the evangelist as opposed to going away with some really great ideas on how to reach your friends and neighbours. Okay, I want you to meet 
the evangelist tonight. And so um, in my preparations, God's really taken me to different places. He's kind of, I'm opening myself up to you. So um, if you have any questions, please write them down. Keep them in your mind and don't be afraid to ask them because um, I'll try and give you the answers tonight. Okay, but I see you all have Bibles. So I guess we best begin somewhere and we'll begin in the Word. So if you wouldn't mind, let's turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, and we'll go from verse 1. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 1. I think as a church, you've been going through Mark's Gospel, so you'll all be familiar with this story uh, uh, so far. Um, Mark, chapter 5, verse 1. Talking about Jesus as they, as they traveled in certain areas. Jesus and his disciples are traveling to area. And it says this. They traveled across the sea to the land of Jeressa in Galilee. When Jesus came ashore there, he was immediately met by a man who was tortured by an evil spirit. This man lived in the cemeteries and no one could control him, not even those who tried to tie him up, tie him up or chain him. He had often been bound, bound in chains, but his strength was so great that he could break the chains and tear the irons loose from his feet and hands. No one and nothing could subdue him. Day and night, he lurked among the tombs and ran mad in the hills, and the darkness made him scream or cut himself with sharp-edged sharp-edged stones. When this man saw Jesus coming at, and in a distance, he ran to him and fell at his knees in front of him, and Jesus commanded the unclean spirit. He said, come out of the man, you wicked spirit. But the spirit responded, shouting, what's this all about, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. And Jesus said, what is your name? And the unclean spirit responded and said, they call me Legion, for there are thousands of us in this body. And then Legion begged Jesus again to leave them alone and not to send them out of the country. Since the Gerasians were not Jews who considered pigs to be unclean, there happened to be a large herd of swine, some 2,000 of them feeding on the nearby hill. The spirits begged, send us into those pigs if you have to, so that we may enter into them. Jesus granted the request, the darkness swept up out of the man and into the herd of pigs, and they thundered down the hill into the water, and there they drowned, all 2,000 of them. The swine herders ran away, telling everybody that they met what had happened. Eventually, a crowd of people came to see for themselves, and when they reached Jesus, they found the man Legion had afflicted, sitting quietly, sane and fully clothed. When they saw this, they were overwhelmed with fear and wonder, those who'd witnessed everything told the others what had happened, how Jesus had healed the man, how the pigs had rushed into, into the sea, and how they had destroyed themselves. When they heard the whole story, the Gerasians turned to Jesus and begged him to go away. When Jesus climbed back into the boat, the cured de demonic man came and asked if he could come with him and be with him, but Jesus said, no. He said, stay here. I want you to go back home to your own people and let them see what the Lord has done, how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began telling the good news in the Ten Cities region. Wherever he went, people were amazed by what he told them. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's an incredible story. When you think about an evangelist, you might think it's strange that we, um, we look first at, at this particular story. Um, I was surprised when the Lord told me to 
begin there. He said, begin with that one. It's like, oh, no, what, really? Because it caused me to actually go away and look up what an evangelist actually is. And when I looked it up, I found that in nearly every definition uh, of an evangelist, it's described as someone who declares or makes known or is the bearer of good news. So an evangelist is somebody who declares or makes known or is the bearer of good news. So I could have looked at the apostles and we could have begun there because we know that they, be, they declared good news everywhere that they went. They all preached the gospel. But I couldn't use them as an example of an evangelist because they're not evangelists, they're apostles. So I had to kind of put a line through them. Uh, the writers of the gospels themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they're called the evangelists. But again, some of them were apostles and other of them were also uh, ministries of different kinds. Then there was Philip the Evangelist. I thought, I've got one here. I've got Philip the Evangelist. It's got Evangelist in his name, right? And I began to read about him and his life, and I began to read about how he proclaimed good news and how he performed miracles and how he helped start the church in Ethiopia. But as I began to look through it, it was only after he'd done all of that stuff in Acts 21, verse 8 and 9, that he was called an evangelist. You know, after he'd done all these wonderful things, and then there was 2 Timothy 4. And let's read that together. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, And now I bring you this charge before God and Jesus, the anointed, the one destined to judge the living and the dead, at his glorious appearance and at his kingdom. Go out and preach the word. Go whether it's an opportune time or not. Reprove, warn, and encourage, but do so with all the patience and instruction needed to fulfill your calling. Because a time will come when some will no longer tolerate sound teaching. Instead, they will live by their own desires. They'll scratch around with their itching ears by surrounding themselves with teachers who approve of their lifestyles and tell them what they want to hear. They'll turn away, away from the real truth you have, you have to offer because they prefer the sound of fables and myths. But you must stay focused and be alert at all times. Tolerate suffering and accomplish the good work of an evangelist and complete the ministry to which you have been called. So Paul instructs Timothy that in addition to going and preaching the word, which is the good news and is the job, if you like, of an, an evangelist, and which is something that he's called to do, but in addition to that, and in addition to tolerating suffering, he's to accomplish the work of an evangelist. But even with those few examples, you might be wondering why I begin with the demonized man as, the, as my example of an evangelist. Well, the reason for that is pretty simple. Because all of the other people that I mentioned, we engage their story at a point where they're already believing in Jesus. They're already part of the of the, the church, or they're already part of, of the believing community. But with this man, you know what he was like before he first encountered Christ. And you can see from the first time that he encountered Christ to what he was like after he encountered Christ. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah? So, um, I'm beginning there. Timothy was a believer. All the others were already believers. But this man, uh, the demonized man, we know what he was like before he met Christ and what he was like after. And we know that after this first encounter with Jesus, he went out and did the work 
off the evangelist. He was commissioned by Jesus to go and proclaim the good news of what had happened to him and the good news of Jesus wherever he went. And you know what? He did an absolutely fantastic job. Because at the end of the first time that we meet him, he is being begged by the community, please don't stay here, please go away. But the next time that we see Jesus going back into that community, they do something completely different. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus and his disciples decide to return to the region where they've been rejected from people. This is the region where they left the man who had been demonized. The last time, as I said, the locals had begged him to go away. But when they get back, it's a very different story. Let's have a look. Mark chapter 6, verse 53. Mark chapter 6, 53. So they've journeyed back again across the lake, back to the the same region. And uh, when they finished their journey, they landed the boat in Gennesaret. People at once recognized Jesus as the healer. Immediately, they hurried and they collected the sick and the infirm, and they brought him to him in beds if they, they brought him to them in beds if they had to, and laying them out in the markets and in any village, city, or field where he might pass. Something's happened to those locals who were pushing Jesus away, saying, go away from us, yeah? Something has happened to them in the time that he has left to the time that he comes back that has convinced them that we want to meet Jesus, yeah? And I'm thinking that the guy that Jesus commissioned to go and tell everybody, hey, go and and, and show your life, go and tell your story. He's gone into those cities, he's gone into those villages, and he's convinced them through the changed life that he represents, that this Jesus who they had shunned and sent away is the one that they should eagerly anticipate and wait for his return, yeah? And now they rushed to him to be healed and set free. Something had happened to them. We have a picture in the church, in in the church, in the the building in All Nations, um, at the All Nations Centre. It's right there in our foyer uh, by one of the chairs. And it's, a, it's just got some text on it. And, it's, and it reads this. It says, you can preach a better sermon with your life than with your lips. You can preach a better sermon with your life than with your lips. When we first met this man, he was wild. He was possessed by demons. He was lurking and hiding among the tombstones. He was screeching and he was railing against the society that was around him. He was completely shunned by everybody because of his wildness. But after the encounter with Jesus, it changed him internally and it changed him externally to everybody that's around him. In Mark 5, verse 14, it says, but when the people came, they found the man sitting quietly, no longer fighting and screaming. They found him in his right mind, able to judge his own actions and make right decisions, and they found him fully clothed. Seeing the man like this made the people afraid. Immediate transformation had taken place, and when people are not ready to see immediate transformation, they get afraid when they encounter it. What if this isn't the real deal? We're worried. This guy's a dangerous guy, you know. He could, did this really happen to him? But the longer the man stayed changed, the longer his life was transformed, the longer and longer and longer that he was able to witness 
to the life-changing power of Jesus that had affected him, the more he changed the people that were around him to move from rejecting Jesus to accepting Jesus and all that he could do for them on their return. Paul's instructions to Timothy to preach, reprove, warn, and encouraged are backed up with him living a life that's so being transformed by Christ that those who meet him long to see the return of Jesus. The evangelist builds up the body, the church, and the man in the way of salvation. The way of salvation of spirit, of mind, and of body. Christ wasn't content with just dealing with this man's inner problem, the issue of spirits, but he wanted to deal with everything else. He wanted to deal with a renewal of his mind as well as physically setting him free with cl- and clothing as well. So I'm going to introduce you to me. Is that okay? Yeah. Tell you a little bit about me and my journey and my story because um, I wasn't a demonized guy. Okay, that's, let's stop that one before you start thinking like that. I wasn't demonized, but um, I made a decision to follow Jesus in April 1995. My prayer at that time was, God, help me. You are going to have to change me. God, help me. I wasn't possessed. Um, I wasn't living among the tombstones. But I was wild. And I knew I couldn't fit into a church without a radical change by God going on in my life. I tried... Um, I needed either a radical change or I needed God to help me. All right, let me explain the two things. I tried radical changes many, many times before. Being a preacher's kid, um, the best way to get out of trouble was to get saved. And um, I got saved maybe twice or three times a year for most of my life. Um, And I would go through what people go, he's gone through a radical change. And um, uh, people would go, I'd bump into people and they'd say, how are you, Tim? I say, oh, wonderful. Thank you very much. I've given my life to Jesus. Everything's changed, transformed. I'm a totally different person. And they go, wow, you've gone through a radical change. And what, that typically, what a radical change typically, typically looked like was um, uh, going to church, carrying a Bible, trying not to swear, keeping your thoughts and your temper under control, and having a side parting and dressing normal. Okay. <laughs> having a side parting and dressing in normal clothes. Um, That's what a radical change looked like. Um, And you would try and try and try and try and try and, you know, after a Bible week, you'd last maybe two months, maybe three, before you'd have a blow up at home and throw it all away again if if it ever was ever there before or um, something else would happen in your life that was just a big bit of chaos. And that radical transformation would would, would disappear and fizzle out until the next Bible conference came around or the next time you'd done something really, really bad and you needed uh, to be radically transformed again. (laughs) Okay? In fact, the day that I walked into my father's office to give my life to Jesus, I think he was expecting me to be asking for a radical change because I went into his room and said, Dad, I need to give my life to Jesus. And he looked up from his table and he said, Why? What have you done wrong this time? (laughs) And uh, I thought, Oh, no, you don't understand. I really do need to give my life to Jesus this time. I needed to get saved. Um, I needed God to change my life. 
I didn't know how God was going to do it because I was a mess. I didn't know how God was going to change me and I didn't want this, any of this fake change to happen anymore. I didn't want to have to go along trying to be a Christian. I just wanted to be me. I wanted to be me with God doing all the work because he promised to save all those who call on him. And... Um, I knew I couldn't do it on my own. Absolutely could not do it. And that's why uh, my prayer was, God, help me. Help me change. Uh, a God help me change is very different from a, a radical change. Um, it's, it was my commitment on that morning, and it's still my commitment today, um, is that I can't save myself. I can't do anything by myself. God, you've got to change me, but... Uh, in exchange for you changing me, I want to let you know, God, that I'm willing to be changed. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to sort out this mess, this person, but your word says that I'll be saved and I want you to save me. And if you're willing to save me and you're willing to change me, I'll just carry on living exactly the way, but I'll change as you tell me to change. And that was my commitment. That's a God help me change. It's one that's completely given up Billy Graham famously makes his appeals by saying to the crowds that come and see him, just come. Jesus accepts you just as you are. Uh, and you know what? That's the truth. That is the good news. That's, that's, that is all we have to let people know out there in the world is you don't have to be a somebody. You don't have to try and be like anybody else because Jesus accepts you just as you are. Yeah? Um, it's okay to be you and be a Christian. It is. It's okay to be you and be a Christian. All right? We're all different. It's okay to be you and be a Christian. Um, so long as you're prepared to change. So long as you're prepared to change. And there's one thing I can absolutely 100% promise you is that if you are prepared to change, then God is going to change you because I know, because he started to change me. And he changed me in incredible ways. Uh, lots of people in those early days of my walk with Jesus didn't think that I'd actually been saved. <laughs> um, they saw somebody who had a, maybe a, a little bit of a bad attitude sometimes and maybe didn't turn up to church and maybe didn't go along to meetings and you know, some of his actions were a little bit, still a little bit wild or uh, a little bit out, out of control, and um, he didn't really, he wasn't really good in the, the youth meetings, or, you know, he, he keeps disappearing, he's AWOL, he's not turning up for his meetings with the pastor, that kind of thing. Um, so a lot of people early on didn't think that I had been saved, or whether, or maybe Tim's just gone through another radical change. But in me, I knew straight away that I had been saved. All of a sudden, these things started to happen in my life, uh, desires and habits and actions that were really, really, that nobody in the church would, would even dream about because they're all so holy. But for me, it all stopped straight away. Massive leaps and bounds. And yeah, I still had some habits. And yeah, I still had some thoughts. And yeah, I still did some things. But I was nowhere near the person that I was before. I was different. I was changed. And each step of the way, I thought, God, help me again. Help me more. I thank you for taking me on this particular journey, I thank you that you have changed me. 
There was a song that is, um, that is sung. Um, it's called, All to Jesus I Surrender. And the chorus goes, I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, thy blessed saviour, I surrender all. That was my God help me song. A lot of people don't realise that if you surrender all, then God takes everything. If you surrender all, then God's going to take everything. And he doesn't leave one bit behind. And the truth is, um, and the tr that truth can take a little while for you to catch up on. Yeah? Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says this, that the word of God is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Um, uh, that's one translation. And I think the translators have maybe duped it out over the years as to how to actually say what they want to say in this particular, these particular verses. Because when I first read, the, read, it, it, read, it, read it in the Bible, my translation at the time said, uh, said uh, uh, to those who are saved, it is the power of God. And yet in another translation, when I was reading it another time, it says, to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Um, I don't know if they are. We're arguing over what's the right thing to put in, and I'm sure that they probably were arguing over what the right phrase is there. But I kept hold of both of those Bibles because um, I believe it's, both of them are true. Yeah. Yeah? I totally believe that both of them are true. I knew when I was in that office on my knees asking Jesus, asking God to help me, save me. He saved me straight away um, when I prayed those things. But he also continues to save me as well. Um, in Romans 11, chapter 3, uh, God says this, do not allow the world to hold you um, into its image. Instead, be transformed by the uh, renewing of your mind. As a result, you will be able to discern what God's will is and whether God finds good and whatever God finds good, pleasing and complete. My surrender to Jesus saved me from my world, but God continues to save me from myself by renewing my mind day after day after day. And one day, soon, he's going to return, right? And he's going to save me again, physically, as we go uh, and be transformed completely into his likeness, which will be awesome. I can't, I can't wait for that to happen. Well, I can, but you know what I mean? Yeah, it's going to be brilliant. Um, okay, where did I get to? Yeah, 1 Thessalonians, uh, yeah, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, so now, uh, so now, may the God of peace make you his own. May the God of peace make you his own completely. May the God of peace make you his own completely. Isn't that awesome? That's what God wants to do. When you give your life to Jesus, he's going to take you from here, he's going to bring you to here, and he's going to own you completely. And through the whole process, it's going to be peace. I love that. It's going to be peace. May the God of peace make you his own absolutely, completely, and set you apart from the rest. 
So you don't even need to be in that crowd anymore. He's going to take you completely and move you and transform you. You're not going to be like anything else, whatever the rest was. You're not going to be like the rest anymore. You're something completely different. May your spirit, your soul, and your body be preserved and kept intact and wholly free from any sort of blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus, who is the anointed. For the God who calls you is faithful and he can trust, be trusted to make it so. Every day I thank God for the changes that he made and every day I ask God to change me again. God help me, God save me, God make me different and, and I was, I was moving, some days I was moving forwards, some days I was falling forwards but it didn't matter, I was always moving in the right direction, yeah, God was always moving and always changing me and always transforming me and always moving me and some people were like man are you even saved and I'm like well I hope one day to be like you but I'm not going to fake it and be like you today. Ooh, 50p in the, in the meter? Anyone? 50p in the meter. It's just me and the lights now. Okay. Ooh. Okay. But it took me a little while, or a long while actually, before I fully understood or fully realized that when I'd committed to be changed by God, God committed 100% to change me. Yeah, he, he, he was in it for the long haul. And what I've learned over time is God doesn't lose anybody. Yeah. You know, he's never let anybody down yet. He continues to be faithful in every single way. And, um, uh, and when I had been given to him, God was actually committed to changing everything in my life. Um, sometimes, like I said, that happens with me. Ki- oh, man, kicking and screaming. Oh, God, I, 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 yeah, I know I said I'll give that up. I know I said I'll change in that way. I, oh, God, that's really hurting that you want me to change that attitude towards somebody. Oh. I'll tell you a story. I might have told it to you before. Um, I told it to the youth last night, and it's just come back to me now, and I think the Holy Spirit wants, wants to tell you. Um, I was, um, uh, I used to live in an apartment. I'll get to this. In, you'll catch up with this story in a little while as you get to know me a little bit more. But I was living in an apartment in, in South Manchester, and uh, while I lived there, I shared an apartment um, with this guy called... Well, I, I, was, I couldn't afford the apartment I was living in. Um, so that was a mistake in the first place, not managing my money. That was something God's going to change in me on the way. You know, he's changing me. So I couldn't afford to live in the place that I was living. And um, so I had this two-bedroom apartment and decided to go and look for somebody who could live with me. And I asked all of my friends, do you know anybody who could come and live with me? And they said, well, it's a really nice apartment. I said, yeah, it's a nice apartment, but who could live with me? And they said, how about Michael? I said, well, I don't know, Michael. Who's Michael? And they went, you know, Scottish Michael. Um, no, don't know Scottish Michael. And they said, you know, Scottish Michael with the red hair. I said, well, okay, well, do you think he's a good guy? Do you think he'd want to live with me? Yeah, he'd be great for you. So I went and I met this guy called Scottish Michael. And I hadn't met him before. And a lovely guy, though, turned out. He was uh, very Scottish. And I uh, showed him the room. And I said, would you like to come and live in this apartment with me? And he said, yeah, I'd love to come and live in the apartment. I said, Michael, I said, uh, I've got the really big bedroom and you've got the smaller bedroom. So I'll tell you what, I'll pay most of the rent. You take the smaller room, and in the smaller room, if you would also just pay the gas, the electricity, and the council tax. Yeah, is that a deal? 
And he's like, yeah, that's a really good deal. That, that works out less than what I'm currently paying at the moment. Fantastic. So me and Michael moved in together, and um, we were uh, uh, we, we buddies. We, we had friends and everything else. And one day I came home from work and uh, let myself into the apartment and went to go into the kitchen. And I couldn't get into the kitchen and looked at the kitchen door, and there was a great big padlock on the kitchen door. Oh, this is strange. So I went down to the living room and tried to open the living room door, and again, there was a great big padlock on the living room door. Oh, this is odd. I went down to Michael's room, and again, there was a padlock on his room, and we got down to my bedroom, and there was a padlock on my bedroom door as well. And I thought, what on earth is going on here? This is, this is weird, all right? So I stood in the corridor and waited for Michael to come home from work, and when he came in, I was like, Michael, I don't understand what's going on. You've, you've padlocked all of the doors. <laughs> oh, yes. I have. <laughs> I said, well, I don't know what's going on with you right now, Michael, but if you wouldn't mind just taking the padlocks off the doors of the communal areas, that would be great. And if you wouldn't mind taking the padlock off my bedroom so that I could go to sleep, I really don't mind you having a padlock on your bedroom door, but I want to let you know I'll never invade your privacy. I'll never get involved, you know, I'll never go into that space. So he's like, oh, great, we locked all the doors and everything else. So it got to Christmas time, going to winter, and Michael um, came to me and he said, I'm going back to Scotland. I can't do the accent anymore. I'm going back to Scotland. I'm going back to Scotland for Christmas. And I said, fantastic, Michael, that's great. Have yourself a great Christmas. And he said, here's the money for, your rent, for the rent. I was like, great, I'll receive the money for the rent. And off he went, and I was spending Christmas on my own in the, in the flat and... I was quite looking forward to it, you know, my own space at you know, Christmas time, open my own presents, delivered to myself with my own stocking wrapped up. I got everything I wanted for myself that year. It was great. Um, but I went to the post box, and I opened up the post box, and there were th- uh, three envelopes that were red. I thought, oh, what, what, what's this? And I opened the first one, and it was from the gas company. And they said, we've sent you warning after warning after warning. We're coming to cut your gas off. And this is the date for non-payment of bills. And I opened up the next one. It's from the electricity company. We're coming to, we're coming to uh, uh, cut off the electricity. We've sent you warnings and all this and, uh, for non-payment of bills. And then the third one was, from, it was a summons to court from the council tax for non-payment of council tax. And it was all in my name because... I stupidly was subletting to Michael. So it, was, so it was me that was in debt. It was me that was being summoned to court. It was me that was going to be freezing over Christmas. So um, uh, 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 I was still, I'm still a Christian, okay? But a righteous um, feeling emerged inside me. Uh, it kind of bubbled out. And for some reason, Michael's bedroom door got kicked to smithereens. <laughs> and as I walked into his bedroom and through the wood and everything else, um, I noticed by the side of his bed, just tempting me, was this neat stack of letters. Just perfect. Everyone just stacked right up on top of each other. All the bills, all the letters of warning, everything was just stacked up right, right beside the bed. And I went absolutely berserk. God, help! You know? What do I do with this guy? I'm going to kill this guy. You know, all these different things, these these emotions were suddenly coming up. 
And um, I quickly got onto the phone and rang up the electricity. Can I pay this off? Please don't cut me off. I'm really, really sorry. And, yes, you can do that. Can I do the gas? Yes, I can do that. Ran out, ran out the court, paid everything off. Managed to, managed to save myself. And I sat down in the lounge and began to plot Michael's murder. <laughs> and as I plotted, and as I thought of the different ways in which I could end Michael's life, and how to dispose of a body, and you'll be amazed at the different ideas that come to your mind. <laughs> I began to think, and I was just thinking, as I'm thinking, as I was thinking, God <laughs> began to change me. You know, I told God, when God God's going to take it all, he began to change me. And as I sat there, I began to remember um, when I'd first become a Christian, I had to leave the UK for a period of time and go and live in, a, in Memphis, Tennessee. And while I was there, me and my friend, both of us brand new Christians, had gone out to do some evangelism in, the, in one of the shopping malls in, in Memphis. And uh, we, we were maybe just a little bit too aggressive in our evangelism technique. Uh, we were bowling up to people boldly and virtually shouting, hey, you need to know Jesus, turn or burn, that kind of thing. And, um, and as we were, as we were uh, over-enthusiastically trying to reach people for Jesus, I'm not sure he was in it too much, um, a lady walked past and she said, hey boys, why don't you kill them with kindness? And I thought, that was the strangest thing the lady said. And she just carried on walking and it stuck in my head. And then security came and removed us from the mall. So it, I was sat on the sofa I'm sat on the sofa and I'm just thinking of ways to kill Michael. And I'm thinking, and God, this, this lady's voice just comes into my head. Hey, man, why don't you kill him with kindness? And I was like, well, well, well how do I kill him with kindness? That'd be awesome. <laughs> and God just begin, began to put into my he said, forgive him. Oh, forgive him. But God, I really don't want to forgive him. He is, he nearly, he nearly got me in jail. He nearly got, I, I was the one that's, that, that's had to pay for all of this. I'm the one that's out of pocket. Surely we can agree on this. You've got the lightning bolts. <laughs> you know? God said, forgive him. So I rang him up in Scotland and um, my mouth was dry. Because I'm a salesperson, they always say, if you want to sound happy, put on a smile. <laughs> Hi, Michael. Hello, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I'm ringing up to apologize to you. Oh, why? What's happened? What's going on? Well, Michael, I'm really sorry. I've, I've, um, I've kicked your bedroom door in. Oh, why did you kick my bedroom door in? Well, there were some letters that came through the post and I noticed that they were red. Oh. And Michael, after I kicked your bedroom door in, um, I noticed that all the bills that had ever come to the house were neatly stacked up by the side of your bed. Oh. Uh, Michael... I want to let you know that I forgive you. Oh, it was all gone. All this rage that I had 
for this guy. This, the, the plans of murder, everything just gone with the, just that simple word. Michael, I forgive you. Michael, I want to let you know that I've paid the bill and I want to let you know that you don't owe me any money. And Michael, um, I want to let you know that when you come back after Christmas, I want you to live in the house with me and you don't have to pay any rent. You can just live with me. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I want to let you know I forgive you. And Michael, I'm putting the rent that you gave me just before you left, I'm putting that back into your bank account so that you can have yourself a great Christmas. Um, I want to let you know I forgive you. And he was like, oh, thanks. I'll see you in January then. (laughs) And I hung up the phone and I wanted to tell you something. God changed me. I was kicking and screaming. It was a kicking and screaming change, all right? But because I'd given my life to him, I was committed to being changed. And it was just a small thing. You might think, oh, that's just a small thing. But it was a massive thing for me. So Michael came back. He moved, came back into the house. Uh, his door was all fixed and a padlock, a new padlock with a key on it for him. It was back on the door and uh, he lived with me. And I got to really find out more about Michael. I found out that Michael had, um, had never been allowed to stay in any place for far too long and had always been kicked out and the different places that he'd been to people had gone through his stuff and he, he had real security issues and you know it was just a whole big story about Michael that came out and, and he really really began to open up to me and, and, and because I had forgiveness to him I began to express and show Christ to him about six months later there was a letter from Michael that said um, I don't know uh, he'd le- he left the house and he left a note. He said, I cannot understand why you would show such love and care towards me. Nobody has ever, ever done that. I want to thank you for forgiving me. I'm really, really sorry, but I can no longer live with you in the house. So I'm making my own way. And I didn't see Michael. I haven't seen Michael um, since. But when I went to Bible college, we as students began to pray for different people. We began to we just put names of, our, of people that we wanted God to save. We wrote them on the wall, on the, the, the school wall. And I put Michael's name on there. And uh, every Thursday when we prayed together, we would just pick a random name off the board. You might not know the person or you might know your friend, but you know, different people would say, Lord, well, I just want to pray for Michael now. Won't you bring him into the kingdom? And as we began to pray and pray and pray, different people were beginning to get saved. And I got a phone call from one of the stewards in the church in Manchester uh, one Sunday afternoon to say that a guy called Michael had come in to the church looking for me and uh, that they had told him that uh, I had moved to Cardiff and that I wasn't around. And I said, oh, well, what what happened in the meeting? He said, well, I want to let you know that Michael gave his life to Jesus in the meeting. And I was like, oh, he could have been rotting at the end of the garden. (laughs) But but now I'm going to spend eternity with him. And he was a member of the church for a little while. Imagine that. We might be roomies. (laughs) The Lord's prepared a place for us both. But he was in the church, and then he moved back to Scotland, and he got his life together. He'd become a nurse, and he was doing fantastic, and, and everything was great for him. He, his, his life had been completely changed, and he'd been changed enough for him to come and seek the Christ that he had met in the flat or over the phone that had offered him forgiveness. And that was the Christ in me that I struggled to let out because... I didn't really want to forgive him. But I made a promise to God that if he's, going to, he's the one who's got to change me and if he begins to change me, then I'm willing to change. And he's in the kingdom, yeah. right? How awesome is that? So sometimes change happens 
with you kicking and screaming. And I've learned, and I hope you've heard, you, can, you, you understand now, it's pointless for you to kick and scream. Okay, because you've given your life to Jesus, and so he's going to take it all. all right? And he has taken it all. So, and if, you, if you're feeling like you're kicking and screaming right now, um, just give up. Because it's far, far better when you do. Okay, don't rail against him, just let him change you. It's simply, looking back now, I've been through a lot of change. But a lot of the changes in my life could have happened a whole lot quicker. I ended up, um, before I got to Manchester, I, I'd gone and moved to London, I made some mistakes down there, but I was still saved. I still knew that I was saved, and I knew that God had changed me, and, but I just found myself making some wrong decisions. I found myself in the wrong kind of company. Um, I received a phone call from uh, a church leader up in Manchester who said, look, Tim, if your life is, is terrible where you are, why don't you come and move to Manchester? And that's how I made the transition to go up there. I quit my job immediately and packed my bags and, and moved up there because I knew that God was going to change me and was continuing to change me. But I knew that in order for him to change me, I needed to move myself out of where I was. Yeah? And that's, being, that's where, where, where God takes, takes the wild man and gives him a right mind. You know, when God changes you, he gives you a mind that's able to make right decisions. Okay, so I moved from there, and I moved up to Manchester, and, and I lived there uh, for quite some time. But I could have had uh, a speeded up change if I had been living in the right environment. In Matthew 13, verses 33, Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom of God. And I, I'm thinking I'm going I'm to share on this tomorrow in a little bit more detail. Time is it now? How long has that been? Can I have a little leg stretch now? We'll read this parable. Okay, we'll have a little... little um, I'm going to go into this in a bit more detail. In fact, if you have any friends that are unsaved this weekend, or if you have any friends or relatives that um, have been a Christian in the past and attended church and, or, or, or in any kind of way, I want to encourage you, please, when you go home tonight, pick up the phone, get on, get on your Facebook, get on your Messenger, get on your text, or however, if you've got a fax, send them a fax. I don't know how you're going to do it, all right? I don't know what, I'm in the, I've been in the countryside, you know, you've only got two megabytes a second download or whatever it is, okay? So send a pigeon uh, or a crow, I don't know. <laughs> To where we are. But invite those people to come along tomorrow because tomorrow I have a message for the ones that have been walking with the Lord and gone cold and those that have never begun the journey. Okay, so I would like to just encourage you just to send those messages out there um, and it'll be fun. I'll try and be funny. Okay. <laughs> okay, Matthew 13, verse 33 says this um, Jesus told them a fourth parable. He said, Imagine a woman preparing a loaf of bread. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast that she folds into the dough. She kneads it and she kneads it until the yeast is worked all the way into the dough. Um, I know a little bit about making bread. In fact, I love cooking and, uh, I, and I, I read lots of cooking recipes. Um, when I'm sitting on my own, I, I, if, I'm, if I'm not reading the word because I'm so holy, I'm looking on the internet for different uh, recipe ideas and, uh, and, and I love cooking and I particularly love watching cooking shows um, and the cooking, the, the cooking TV channel. I love it when I'm fasting, you know, just watching <laughs> the food being prepared. It's weird. My wife comes in, she's like, why are you, how can you watch this? You're on a fast. And I'm like, yes. 
I'm on a fast. I don't understand it. I don't know. It's the, Lord. the Lord's just given me this power to be able to watch food, being prepared and not be hungry. Um, <laughs> um, but when you're making bread, the environment in which you keep the dough in determines how quickly the yeast can work its way through. Yeah? Um, Recipes for bread making say that once you've got all the ingredients together and you've added all of the stuff, any bread makers here? No, you're not bread makers? Well, let me tell you about bread making. Once you've got the ingredients all together and you've added in the, the yeast, which you've already been put into a little bit of warm water just to get it activated, you chuck that in and you begin to mix it, you begin to knead it, and then once you've kneaded it and kneaded it and kneaded it and kneaded it and you form it into these little balls if you're making bread rolls, by the way, not big loaves. But you form it into little bowls and you, uh, bowls and you stick them onto, onto, onto a, a greaseproof sheet or something. And then you cover it with a little damp tablecloth. And then you put it into a warm environment. And you leave it in that warm environment for just about an hour. And then you come back and check on the dough balls. And as you lift up the sheet, you'll notice that all those irregular-shaped dough balls that you've placed on there have all somehow sorted themselves out and they've all risen and become the same size. Yeah? So they've all expanded and filled up all of the space that's on there. So, so long as they're about the same size when you put them on, they can be in a regular shape. They can not look like each other. You understand? They might not be like the one that they're sat next to, yeah, or the one that's just behind them. But if you leave them in the right environment, they'll all turn out the same in the end. Yeah? Um, They'll all turn out the same if you put them in the right environment. But yeast has a way of multiplying itself in every environment. So even if you take those dough balls and you put them in the fridge, which is not what the recipe says, and you leave them there for a considerably longer time, eventually the yeast that's still in that dough will work its way through the whole batch and over time, when you take it back out, it will be exactly the same as the ones that you put into the right environment to begin with, yeah? It just takes longer because the yeast is slowed down in its activity because it's in the wrong environment for growth. But it's still at work in the dough, yeah? Another interesting thing for you to know is that once you drop the yeast in, you can't get it out again. Yeah. Yeast goes in, and, and if you think, oh, no, I, I should have added it to the water before, and you, you try and pick up those little bits of yeast. I mean, they're teeny, tiny little bits. So you, you try and scoop them up, and you try and get them out. You'll never be able to get all the yeast out. And even if one tiny bit of yeast is left inside the mix, and that mix is mixed and put into an environment, that one tiny bit of the kingdom will continue to replicate itself right the way through the mix until it comes out the same size, same shape as all of the others. All right, we'll take a, 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 a five minute leg stretch, is that okay? And then we'll come back and I'll continue moving on. Okay. So if you put dough in the fridge, it's gonna slow down considerably in its expansion of yeast. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Okay, you guys are dough balls. <laughs> Yeah, look at, the, look at the dough ball next to you. Yeah, look at the dough ball behind you. Yeah, look at the, yeah, re reach out and knead the dough ball next to you. <laughs> We're all dough balls. That's what Jesus was saying. Yeah, and the yeast of the kingdom, <laughs> and the yeast of the kingdom is the kingdom of God. Yeah, it's Christ 
living in us. And what he's saying is, you get me on the inside. You get the kingdom on the inside and the kingdom will take care of itself. All you need to do is manage the environment that you are kept in. And the right environment for somebody who has received the kingdom of God, the right environment for growth is in the community of God. It's in the church. And in that right environment, growth of the kingdom, expansion of the kingdom becomes exponential. The kingdom will always, always, always advance. Okay? It will always move forward. It will, it will not stop. It will never give up. It will always achieve its aims. If it's in, it will continue to move forward. Some of you have friends and relatives and family members right now who don't seem to be walking with the Lord. I had a phone call from a friend of mine this week um, he's, uh, his, uh, his child had come home from university and said that um, they did not want to walk with Jesus anymore and they had decided to make some other choices but the problem is God's not going to remove himself from that life once he's in you can't get him out so unfortunately for her she's just removed herself to the fridge but the kingdom of God is going to continue to expand just at a slower rate. And they'll come to a point like I did, getting out of the fridge and realizing, boy, I wasted some time there. That was a waste of time. But bam, God, you were still here. You were still with me there when I was in that mess. You were still with me in that cold environment. Wow, I'm back in the right environment for kingdom growth. I'm saying that because you don't have to give up on your family members. You don't have to give up on your friends or those people that have, you think have walked away. God is right there with them. All you need to be is the right environment for kingdom growth. Yeah? You need to be the community of God, the church. So whenever those people come into your environment, they don't have a pointing finger you've done wrong. They just have the open arms of a father who says, welcome home, son. Yeah? yeah. We love you, we care for you, we never ever want to see you go. And whenever they come into that kind of contact, you guys are irresistible to be around because something happens on the inside for them. Something happens on the, they can't quite figure out how do I, how can I get back in with those people? I've done so many wrong things. How can I get back in with those people? I've let them down so much how can I get myself back in and be like them that's the feeling of a prodigal because they've got the kingdom on the inside and they feel like things were better in my father's house than they are right now but how can I go back how can I be in there and again we stand with with the right environment welcome home come back in welcome in the kingdom of God will always advance the kingdom never gives up you know people might not look like you when they come in which is great i love i lo- tell you what we got some crazy people coming into the church right now all right they're coming from all kinds of backgrounds all kinds of experiences and they're, they're just dough balls that look kind of funky all right they don't look like me and i don't look like a lot of other people to be perfectly honest i'm still expanding in certain areas okay 
But the point is God accepts them just as they are. And we're to accept them in exactly the same way. And we're just to keep them in that warm environment because they will change. They will turn out not like us because we're still being changed ourselves, but they're all going to be changed. We're all going to be changed into his likeness, into his image. We're all being transformed. The kingdom is expanding. Minds are being renewed. You know, all those analogies, all those messages, all those things of transformation that are in the Bible, they apply to you and they apply to the new person and they apply to the prodigal all at the same time. We're all being changed. We just need to keep them and make them feel warm. Can I also add, questions are not attacks on what you believe. Yeah? Um, questions, when people come in and say, why do you believe that? Or why, why do you do that? Why do you believe that? Or I can't believe you do that in this modern society. I can't believe you think like that in, in the way that, uh, in, in this world right now. I can't believe you have that attitude. I can't believe, they're not attacking you. All right? If they have accepted Jesus, these questions become structures in their lives, kingdom structures in their lives, because they're searching for truth. You know? As a wine is poured into a wineskin, it begins to bubble and shape. It's volatile. It's all over the place. And that's what questions are in a new believer. They're just trying to find their place. They're just trying to find their shape. Let them ask the questions. Don't look at them as attacks. Sometimes they might say, well, I don't believe that. That's okay. Because you will, eventually. Yeah? God's not going to give up. He's not going to change. He's not going to come along and go, okay, because you don't believe let me write this out, you know? This is going to stand for all time, all right? Everything in here is going to stand. So it's okay for you to say, I don't believe that right now. Well, it is right now, and you will change. There were loads of things I thought was completely nuts in here. Some of it's still working it through, but I'm willing to accept it because I can't change it, yeah? I've got that far now. <laughs> It's okay. Um, you can't save anybody. It's God that does the saving. We're just to, we're just to show the love. Right? That's the we're all, If you recognize that God has changed you, you can recognize when God's going to change somebody else. That's what evangelism's all about. It's about recognizing, wow, I, I was a complete wreck. But God's changed me, and he can change you too, and he'll accept you just the way you are. And I don't know how he's going to do it. Sometimes I look at people and think, oh, gosh, I do not know how to do it. I look in the mirror and think, I don't know how you did it. Yeah? He's doing it all of the time. It's so exciting. He's changing us. He's saving us. Your life speaks a better sermon than your lips. You'll be surprised how many people out there are going to bed each night praying, God, help me. God, help me. And they're not in this church. And they're not in any church at all. But they're longing for the warmth of community. They're longing for this kingdom that's in them to expand in their lives. And many of them have been written off by the church. Um, they're not our shape. They hold a different belief. Um, they're not quite going to conform to this leadership at this particular level. Um, God hasn't given up on them. Okay? So they might be out, they're out there. I'm just going to, they're out there. And God got in them and he ain't getting out of them. Okay? So don't give up, you, you don't give up on them because he's not giving up on them either. Um, I ended up in a church in Manchester. I ended up in a, in, at the time, the, the church there was fantastic for me. I arrived there in the church, and they left me alone. Yeah? 
They left me alone. And what I mean by that is they gave me space for me to figure things out for myself. Uh, for many years, I kind of dipped into church and dipped out of church and went to different churches and uh, moved around different place. Um, but whenever I came back into their environment, whenever I came back into their community, I just encountered love. I just encountered kingdom. Uh, I just encountered all these, uh, what, what, the words I'm trying to describe to you would be like freshly baked bread smell. Yeah? It's like coming home. Yeah? And that's what I encountered. Every time I came into, into contact with these people was it was just love and it was warmth and it was everything else. And I thought, this is where, this is where I can find my place. I can expand out. And it was okay because that's what I did. And they left me alone and they, they, let me, um, they let me grow in the environment that they had created without telling me that I needed to be something that I wasn't or telling me that... Um, you, you are not the way that we are right now and you need to change, mister. Yeah? It was more like, Tim, we understand where you are right now and we want to show you the right decision, but you need to make that decision. And boy, it took me a little while to figure out that actually they, their, their words were the voice of God to my life and to, to just obey those words. And I took a few wrong turns, but at the same time, they were always there just to say, hey, we told you about that. You know, dust yourself off. This is the way to go. And they gave me space to know and... Um, as I began to, to, to be with them, I, I noticed that I began to change. You know, I'd go to church all the time, for starters. I'd be uh, not on the back row, I'd be like maybe third. It's a good, good row to be on, isn't it? It's the third row. You're no longer a visitor when you're on the third row. You're, kind of an, you're an active player, um, <laughs> occasionally. You, know, you, could, you, can be, you can be worked into the mix. Uh, you could be called on to do things like catch. You know? And I was a catcher for a little while. I did some catching. I managed to commit myself in. Uh, with everybody, um, I found myself engaging more. I, I began to, to um, uh, uh, have a desire to serve the church. You know, I, God began to put this, this urge to kind of go and ask the elders what they need doing. And I tell you, this is the church. Guys, come here, wait a minute. Oh, he's not going to do it. That's good. That's a good elder. <laughs> a great thing to do is go and ask the elders how you can serve them. Because it causes them to have a list of things that they need doing. Because they know that somebody from the church is going to come and say, hey, David, uh, I'm free for an hour this afternoon. What can I do to help you to serve you today? And if you haven't got anything, I go away leaving a bit dejected. Dejected? Because I had an hour to serve, and there wasn't anything for me to serve. So I know that the, I know these guys got lists coming out of their ears. But that's what I started to do, is to go into the building and say, how can I serve? And they, 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 they helped me serve in the church. Um, serving is a great place to find your place in the kingdom of God. Serving is where true discipleship takes place. Um, it's where you begin to touch lives of people who, who are a little bit further on in their walk with, with, with God, but they're, they're, they're advancing and they're growing. It's where questions begin to get answered, maybe that you haven't had answered already, or you feel a little bit too nervous to ask somebody who's maybe more senior, but you're able to talk with other people there. And you're encouraged to go and change, change as you go along. Um, I went to the building often just to work in, in my free time and looked for opportunities to, 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 to serve. Um, I vacuumed the hall. Um, I counted the offering. Uh, I set out chairs. Um, I eventually moved to the front of the, the building on a Sunday morning and welcomed people as they came in. And 
God all the time was discipling me and, and, ch and changing me on the inside. I'd found a place. And as I began to welcome these people, I had in my head that, you know, whenever you touch somebody, these hands are for healing because the Bible says so, yeah. you know? So as people come in, I made a point of shaking every person by the hand. Good morning. Welcome. God bless you. May you be well. And seeing the people's faces change as they came in, kind of, oh, got to get in from the rain or whatever. And, oh, I'm being welcomed. You're changing people's attitudes and just serving in the church. I met, uh, I counted the offerings, welcome people, and I ended up feeding lots of homeless guys that came to our meetings on a Sunday morning. Um, I met a lot of different Christians through all of this. I met caretakers and cleaners, ministries in the church, people who were active every day in serving God in different ways of, of serving and, and got alongside them as well. This environment was perfect for kingdom growth in my life. My work was good. My job was good. I was able to share with the men this morning about how God had put me into a really great place of work. And one day I'm sat into my, um, in my flat and um, I was happy, happy. I always wanted to be happy. And um, I was happy. And I sat there in my, in my flat and it was a sunny day and I looked at the clock in front of me and I said, God, if this is it, if this is my life right now, I'm happy. This is, this is good. But if it's not, if there's more, you've got to let me know. And immediately my phone rang. I picked up the phone, said, hello? Hello? Who's this? Is that Timothy Jones? Uh, yeah, my name is Anna Skagen. I'm calling you from Norway. I have a word from God for you. Oh, go ahead, Anna Skagen from Norway. Didn't have a clue who he was. Never met him before. It's just a random guy ringing me up. God says that where you are right now is not where he wants you to be. But he's called you to be an evangelist. And you will see many people come to the Lord. Many people will be saved. And everything he was saying was suddenly like sparks going off inside me. And I thought, this is what I was called for. I was happy. But now something else was going off. But I didn't know who Arnest Gargan was. <laughs> and I got off the phone. And I wanted it to be real. But I'd been let down by so many people in the past. So I did the most natural thing that any guy would do. I rang my mum. <laughs> I said, mum, some guys just rang me. And he told me all of this stuff. And I want it to be real. But I only ever want things to be real with God. What do I do? She said, well, if it's Arna Skagen, well, he's pretty well known for, for doing that kind of thing and he's pretty accurate, so um, we can trust him. I said, what do I do? She said, you go into your bedroom. She said, you close your door, you kneel down by the side of your bed, and you ask God to make it real, just like you did the first time. Yeah. Oh, so happy. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So I did. <laughs> Went down into my bedroom, closed the door, weird. Never done this before. Kneeled down by the side of my bed. Did the whole Jesus pose. <laughs> Father, 
this guy just rang me up. I think you know him. <laughs> and he said all of this stuff, and Lord, I, I promised that I would serve you if you would change me. And you've changed me this far, and I'm happy. But he's got to be real. And I tell you what, God turned up. God turned up in my room. Dent opened my eyes. I've never felt presence like it. Immediately I began to speak in tongues, praising God. I swear if I'd opened my eyes, I'd have been seeing a big beardy face like my own staring back at me, but maybe white and older. <laughs> God was there and he began to speak to me and he began to talk to me and he began to tell me different things. He made it clear to me that I wouldn't need to hear a voice and question it again, whether it was him talking to me, whether it was through another human or whether it was through his word or by any other means. He said to me, Tim, I am calling you to that and I'm calling you to more. But I want to let you know that I'm going to send you teachers and I'm going to send you guides and whenever you meet them, you'll know that the lessons that they teach you will come from me. And that was the end. And I opened my eyes. And there was nobody there. But hours had gone by. I had just been in the presence of God. And I knew that I was different when I walked out of that bedroom. And I picked up my Bible and I began to read. And it was alive. I got past in the beginning. God. <laughs> I began to read it. And every morning, here's a discipline for you. Every morning I woke up early and I made myself a great big pot of coffee and I put some of the herbs into it to make it sound Moroccan. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to do that. But then I sat in my chair in my, in my, in, I sat in my chair in the bay window of my flat early in the morning. The sun was always coming up and I'd sit there and I'd just begin to read and I'd say, God, I don't know how to read this. I really don't understand it. Uh, you've got to make, it, make sense of it for me. I'm not a teacher because you said I wasn't a teacher so I know that I don't have to remember any of it. It's just got to, I just want to get it on the inside. And I began to read, and I began to read, and I began to think, man, these Israelites are totally stupid, making all of these mistakes. God, smite them, smite them. Oh, you forgave them. Smite them again. Do it again. Do it now. Righteous vengeance and all of that. And then I got to the New Testament, and I realized it was all about me. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I remember the first time God actually spoke to me through the word, um, it freaked me out. Isaiah 60. I was just reading it. And suddenly, boom, it was as if the Holy Spirit, everything came into my mind. And I knew that it was a word for the church on the Sunday morning meeting. And people were going to respond and they were going to give their life to Jesus. And I was like, man. That wasn't that wasn't the word that came out of my mouth. But the Lord's dealt with that since, so I can't say it anymore. But I was like, wow, this is incredible. And, I, and the email was around. I sent it to the elders and I said, guys... I really don't know if this is a word from God or, or not, but man, I'm shaking on the inside. This is really the Holy Spirit. And I, I believe that God showed me something for the meeting on Sunday. Now, this is important for you. 
as you're growing in God, trust your leaders, trust your elders. They're there to help you grow in the things of God. And as I submitted these things to the elders, I said, I've got no idea. I don't, I don't know when to bring this in them. Is it from God? And they said, yes, it is. Is it for Sunday? Yes, it is. I'm shaking on the inside. I said, will you deliver it to the church for me? They said, no, Tim, you can deliver it to the church because God's speaking to you. <gasps> okay, I can do that. And so all week long, I was shaking on the inside. I remember going to the meeting. I remember going up to the elder and saying, listen, bro, um, I don't know when I'm going to be able to bring, when to bring this. Can you please give me the nod or the thumbs up or the whatever? I, I don't know God's timings and all this. You're, you're in charge. And then I just sat there through the whole meeting looking at the elder waiting for the moment and it was about the third song in midway through when the when the, the singer starts going doing the a little bit before everybody starts singing in tongues and he gave me the thumbs up <laughs> you all know you do it you all wait for the signal just before the piano bit i've got to be quick because something and i got the microphone i closed my eyes and i began to bring this word and as i'm bringing this word and i'm asking people to respond um i'm shaking and all these different things and i open my eyes and there were loads of people in front of me all giving their lives to Jesus. And I freaked out and I didn't know what to do. And praise God for elders and leaders because they stepped in. They realized that I had my eyes closed the whole time and I didn't know where to take it from me. And they took over for me. I was like, wow, God, you spoke to me then. And he began to disciple me and I began to sit and listen in meetings, listen to what the worship was saying, listen to what God was singing through the choruses and the songs. And as I began to listen to the choruses and the songs and people bringing different prophetic words, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me to tell me what the message was at the meeting. So I'd be listening to what the Holy Spirit was saying and the preacher would get up and he would preach the wonderful sermons that they would preach, but the Holy Spirit would be telling me what the Holy Spirit was saying in that meeting. And then at the right moment, the Holy Spirit would say, make an appeal. And I'd get up and I would be shaking to begin with. And I'd say, if there's anybody here, I'd, give, I'd explain, this is what the God is saying right now. And I'd make the appeal and people would just get out of their seats and come to the front and give their lives to Jesus. I didn't know how that happens. Other than, I just wanted God to change me on the inside. And I just wanted to hear his voice. And I, what I began to notice was, as I began to make appeals each week, more and more people began to give their lives to Jesus. And, and more so... People began to watch me in the meeting. There was one time, I forgot time. There was one time when God said to me, make an appeal, and I began to get up, and a girl, I swear on, my, on everybody's life, she got up, having looked at me getting up, and she went to the microphone, she made an appeal, and somebody got saved. I was like, ooh. <laughs> Equipping the body. <laughs> There's loads of stories. God brought a word to me through Anna, but God confirmed his word more and more and more and as I look back over my life all these stories come to me of my life all these places where God has put me all of these situations that God has put me in and it's my life and I think wow God this life can connect with people because they're feeling the same way that I felt and I know that you can change them because you've changed me and I just want to connect with people more and more. I began to see um, uh, people uh, uh, saved in the meetings. I began to see people saved in the workplace. I began to see people saved um, everywhere that I went. And I want to tell you something. Um, uh, so yeah, they got saved. I was eventually invited to a meeting here at Living Rock. I was driving, I remember I was driving along the, uh, the, the motorway from London to Cardiff and I received a phone call and they said to me, um, 
would you come to a meeting at Living Rock? We're like, why? Well, we just want you to come to a meeting at Living Rock. We're like, what for? Well, would you come along to the meeting and just, just, just be obedient? <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, okay. I'll be, I'll be there. And um, I came along, along to the meeting and... Um, Oh, I need to tell you this. So I've seen people saved there. I went to Bible school, saw some people saved there. I went to India, and we saw 4,500 people saved there. And then I came back, and, um, uh, and, and then I get this phone call saying, will you come up? And I think what had happened was people had began to see that people were getting saved through the stuff that I was involved in, and they wanted to recognize me as an evangelist. They recognized amongst themselves the gift of the evangelist at work in me. And I have to say, to be honest with you, whilst I knew that I was called to be an evangelist, I didn't expect it to be then. Um, I just thought what I was doing was what Christians do, and that's make appeals, see people saved, and go out and tell people about Jesus. Um, and that is, when you look at all the descriptions throughout the Bible, that's the, the evangelist is more about his life speaking. And I can do all of that stuff, and I've got no problem doing it. In fact, I love people being saved all of the time. Um, but what happened for me um, was, uh, without me being aware of it and without me taking any deliberate action towards it, I got a very big head. This is the honesty bit coming out. Uh, people called me after I'd been recognized to come and do the evangelism bit, the gig at the church, or they would invite me uh, to, to come along and talk to them, and I would impose an evangelistic strategy on them because I thought and I knew that that was the right thing for them. Um, if they needed an outreach idea, I had 10 of them. Um, if they wanted me to preach the gospel, I could do that, no problem. Um, if you wanted a method, I can give you five or six different methods on how to lead somebody to Jesus. I read all of the books that you can get on evangelism. My Amazon account became super used and I bought everything which had the word evangelist, evangelism or evangelization in it. Uh, it all came through my door. The gift was in operation in my life. The gift was in operation, but there was still something in my life that needed to be surrendered to God, um, and I hadn't even noticed it. Um, I was reading in the Bible how um, Moses had a big head. Um, he had learned all the ways of Egypt. He had uh, become famous there. He knew who the Israelites were, and he felt that he was man's God of power for the hour. Uh, while he was in Egypt, and he felt that he could do something for God because he felt that he had been equipped and anointed and ready to be able to do the task. And one day he saw a slave master beating an Israelite, and he, he went over and he killed the slave master because he wanted to see his people set free. And he soon realized that God didn't want him to do that. And instead, the police were going to come after him because he was big-headed and puffed up. and So he ran away and ran out into the wilderness. And uh, you find that he spends 40 years out there. And this guy who was well-educated, no, a well-educated know-it-all, who had, who had everything given to him, had now lost absolutely everything of himself. He had surrendered all in the wilderness. And we come across a man who was just a stammering wreck of the person that he was before. And so one day he's walking in the wilderness and... Um, he sees a bush, and it's on fire, and it's ablaze. And as he looks closer, he finds out that it's God talking to him from the bush. And he's saying to him that now um, he wants to use him. And Moses is saying, well, who am I? I'm nothing. 
And God's saying, exactly, that's how I want you to be because I want you to go and represent me and the only I am that I can have on display is the I am of God. In fact, what Moses saw when he looked at that burning bush is how all of us are meant to be. How God wants all of us to turn out to be. He wants us all to be just common bushes, completely ablaze with his Holy Spirit, completely ablaze with his life in the world, common, normal, people just like you and me, but ablaze with God, not being consumed by him, but being putting him right on, dis- on display. The only I am that God wants on display in my life is him. And so Tim Jones had to die. That was hard. That was a kicking and screaming one. And I had to go through lots and lots of disciplines, daily disciplines to to deal with my own self. But I believe God's taken me through all of that. I've been, the Lord reminded me of a a time I was in Luxembourg. I'd gone to a Catholic wedding. (laughs) I told uh, David this earlier on. I'm nearly finished. It's okay, you'll all be able to go home soon. Don't yawn too much. I gone to Luxembourg to this wedding. It was a Catholic wedding. The guy that was a Catholic wedding in Luxembourg of an Irish gentleman. And he was, as he was getting married, he had about 10 different, um, uh, uh, oh, before I can tell you the story, I've got to tell you this. Okay, is that all right? I'll tell you this bit first. I sat down talking in this discovery of, of Moses and seeing how it all was. I went and talked to the apostles. And I was talking to one of them and he said to me, listen to him, he said, you can be world famous, reach thousands and thousands of people for Jesus, have a great big ministry and earn lots and lots of money. Or you can serve the kingdom as a servant, extend the kingdom and see millions and millions come into the kingdom of God. That was my burning bush moment because I thought that's what I was wanting to do but actually what I was displaying was somebody who wanted something that was completely different. And that's when I remembered the Luxembourg story. This guy was getting married. He had 10, 10 best men, all Irish guys, all looking absolutely brilliant, you know, dressed up and they're all chatting to the girls and making themselves all look really cool. And at the front of the room was the groom. And he just stood there while these best men were all putting on their display and having a bit of a show and having a laugh. And as I was sitting there at the back um, of, of 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 the church, I looked over at the door and there was a little boy, I think he was one of the sons or, 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 one of the, or dressed like one of the best men. Little boy and all he was doing was standing at the door and he was just looking out. Just looking. And I thought, well, he's, what's he doing? All the others are chatting. Where's his mother? Is he, is he allowed to be there? But he was just intently looking. And then after about 10, 15 minutes, he turned around and he ran all the way to the front and he said something to the groom. And in a flash... Everybody got into their place. Everybody found their place. The groom was ready. All the best men dashed from all the different places and they all lined up. And then the bride came in. And this little boy was the little boy that I want to be. I want to be the one that's watching the bride get ready, that's waiting for the bride to be ready. I want to be the one that's at the door that says, the body's ready, she's ready, she's looking beautiful. We've raised her up in every single possible way. I want to be the one that runs to the groom and says, she's ready! I don't want to be the big flash. I'm not interested in that. I just want to serve God. And I want to put him on display in everything that I do. And I want to let you know that the evangelist is the one that just wants, that knows God has changed his life. Has changed it so much that he knows the story that God has changed his life. And he's willing to share that with any single person that's out there. 
I know that I can talk to you, I can talk to your neighbours, I can talk to your friends and all of your relatives, and I know that there's something that God has done in my life that will connect with them. And I know that by sharing that, they will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. They'll be pushed a little bit closer. They will eagerly expect to see Jesus' return. And in building up the church, in what she does, I want them to know their story as well. By sharing my story, by not putting the pressures and the burdens, not driving a whip or forcing you to do things that you don't, want, that you don't necessarily need to do, but understanding your story. If you're willing to change, God will change you. And through that change, you can reach this entire community and beyond for Jesus. That's all the guy did. He got in his right mind. He put on some good clothes. He had a great story. And he went town to town saying, look what Jesus has done for me. And when Jesus returned, everybody was eager and excited to see him. Boy, isn't that something that we all long for? When he returns... Will everybody that we've met, everybody that we've talked to, be eager and excited to see him return? That's my job. That's my life. Um, And that's the end. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk. Thank you.